Last week I began this short sermon series on scriptures that anchor us in times of of distress or disorientation or deconstruction, just in in times where there's uncertainty. And um, I shared last week that that over the course of my recent sabbatical, I had a lot of unscripted conversations with a lot of Christians who were deconstructing their faith. What that means is that I talked with lots of Christians who are trying to figure out what do they need to keep in their faith? What do they need to cut out? What do they need to renew or in some sense revive? I talked to a number of Christians who in their deconstructing their faith and their evaluation of their relationship with the church. Some are actually also evaluating their relationship with Christ. And I realized through those unscripted conversations that I too long for a better church. I long for a better faith. I long for a better me. So over those three months of, of sabbatical, I came to the conclusion, I also want to deconstruct because I mean, not only do I long for a better church and a better faith and a better me, but our world needs to see a better Christianity, a better faith. Now, it feels feels risky to deconstruct our faith, to reassess our faith, because what if we just walk away from the church or walk away from Christ? But as I thought of that, I thought, I, I came to the conclusion it's even riskier at this point in time to try to maintain some kind of status quo and not deconstruct our faith. Because the status quo of what the church in America, what much of the church in America has become over the last decade is simply not enough. It's not representing what Jesus wants the church to represent in the world. So, you know, full disclosure, I'm in a process of of deconstruction. And there are some things that I've held dear, dearly before that I'm probably going to let go of. There are some that I'm probably going to double down on. So I'm in this process of deconstruction along with, with tens of thousands of other Christians and your generations are the ones that are, are leading the way in this. And I hope that you too will enter a process of deconstructing your faith. Now the sermons this week are not about what or how to deconstruct, all right? Next month, we're going to look at Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and get ideas from Jesus because the Sermon on the Mount is one of the great deconstruction sermons ever preached, the greatest ever preached in the history of our race. We're going to look to Jesus for what to deconstruct and what to double down on. The messages this month, as Danny said, are to find scriptures that anchor us, to find scriptures that strengthen us, scriptures that give us insight and wisdom and, and just the strength to do the work of deconstruction well. Because out of the deconstruction, we're gonna to have to move to reconstruction. And reconstruction takes some stability. It needs some strength and power. So the messages this week are about scriptures. And these are scriptures, as I shared last week, these are scriptures that have been in my life for decades, but particularly the three that I'm sharing from in this series, They've been with me over the three months of sabbatical. Early on, I said, Lord, are there any scriptures you want me to just live with over these three months? And I'm sharing from those three scriptures. And Danny's going to share from a scripture next week in the sermon. All right, we began the sermon with Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is all about 
us individually anchoring in, in the Lord who is our shepherd, all right? It's all about individual, it's about me, myself, and I, which is good because Christianity is always first personal, always first personal. If your faith is not, or your relationship with Christ is not yet personal, then come talk with me, talk with Pastor Danny, talk with any of your, your committed Christian friends here at Cornerstone or in your life, and we can show you how utterly, it's uncomplicated to move your faith from an idea that's out there. It's not complicated at all to move your faith in here so that it is about you and you in a relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Psalm 23 is very individual. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me before still waters. And all the way through, it's I, myself, and me. The scripture we're looking at today is not about us individually. All the pronouns in Psalm 46 are plural. It's about we and us and ours. So Psalm 46 says God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear. God is in the midst of us, his followers. The Lord of hosts is with us. And all of those are plurals. So the psalm we're looking at today is moving from the personal anchoring in Jesus to us as a community, anchoring together and finding strength together in the times that, that we most needed of either deconstruction or danger. So Psalm, um, psalm 46 has three stanzas. It's a song, so three verses. And we know the end of each verse because we come across this untranslatable Hebrew word called selah. And it's interesting, it shows up um, 70 times, 71 times in the Old Testament. We find this word selah. And nobody knows what it means. Hebrew scholars have looked at it. Nobody ever, the best that they've come up with is it seems to be some kind of a, a musical notation for the singers to pause at that point in the song. It's their best guess, and so what they suppose is that Selah shows up in the Psalms when the musicians are supposed to stop, everybody's supposed to get quiet, and it's supposed to be a pregnant pause, a moment to pause and think about what we just heard, to pause and meditate on this, to stop and consider what does this have to do with me? So today in the message, we're gonna pause three times. I don't want to just know about the Psalms. I want to experience the Psalms. And at each Selah, we're going to stop for two minutes. I'll put up a screen for some reflection ideas, and I'll just let you pause and think about what those previous verses have to do with your life. All right, ready? Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains shake at its swelling. The point, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. All plurals. This is about us, the church, the people of God, the followers of Christ. We will not fear because God isn't just my refuge. He is our refuge as, as fellow believers, as Cornerstone 
church. Interesting, the first word in the psalm is not God. In most of our translations, it starts out, God is our refuge and strength, but in the Hebrew text, it is reversed and it says, a refuge and strength is our God. Now, if you've grown up in, in certain church traditions, that phrase should be vaguely familiar to you. A refuge and strength is our God. Psalm 46.1 was the inspiration for Martin Luther to write the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And throughout, I'm going to read the words of that psalm at the very end of the service. Um, it's known as one of the greatest hymns of all time, inspired by Psalm 46.1. A mighty fortress is our God. When we see that God is our refuge and strength, it means that he is our strong helper. He is our security. Where we go for safety, where we go when things are disoriented, a mighty fortress is our God. And the word for God is the name Elohim. Elohim means the supernatural one who created and rules over all the universe. As followers of God, we follow the one who is the ruler over all of the universe, and it's that God, Elohim, who is with us actually right now in this room. He's with us individually if we are his followers, and he is here right now, as we'll see in a moment. He is in our midst. All right, if our confidence and our security and our strength is in Elohim, our God, that means it's not in a bunch of other places. So, our confidence is not, if we are followers of God, our confidence is not in our abilities, our intellect, or our education. Our strength is not in our performance or success. Our security is not in meeting other people's expectations. Our trust is not in money or investments or getting a good education so we can make a lot of money. Our trust is not in our family. It's not in our friendships. It's not in our marriage. Our confidence as the followers of God, our security is not in our theology. It's not even in our spiritual practices. Our refuge is not in our prayers. It's not in our church. It's not in our pastors. It's not in our community. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. Elohim, our faith and confidence is in him. We'll figure out all the other stuff, but as soon as we start placing our faith and confidence in other things, then the result is the opposite of what we read in the next verse, because in the next verse it tells us what it means that God is our refuge and strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Now, lots of translations say he is our ever-present help. Others say that he is our very present help. He's both. God, our refuge and strength, is always, always present with us in times of trouble. And he is not just present, but he is hyper-present. He is very present with us. The one thing that we know about God, God is always near to his people who are in pain, who are struggling. He is a very constant and complete presence in times of trouble. What that means is in the next phrase, 
because he is our strength and refuge who is very present in times of trouble. What that means for us is in the next phrase. Therefore, we will not fear. That's what faith does for us. Faith is the antithesis and the antidote to fear. So when you are noticing that there's something fearful within you, then that is a trigger, that's a sign for you to pause and look for where your hope and confidence and strength lies and restore it to God, the Father who loves you, who is the supernatural one who controls the universe. When we back away from our fears and put our trust anew into God, then we can grow out of our fears into our faith. And so our fears aren't bad. Our fears are messengers. Messengers that call us to reconsider. When I'm afraid, it's usually because I put my hope in something else other than my God who loves me and cares for me perfectly and completely. This is why Paul said to his young disciple Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That is an incredible scripture for us when, we, when we're, we're getting afraid, when we're getting frozen in our fears and our anxieties, when we step back to remember that our God is with us. He is our strength and our refuge. Therefore, we do not live in a spirit of fear or timidity because we have love, we have power, and we have self-discipline that come from the Most High God. So, I want to encourage you. We can grow out of our fears into our faith, but we got to want to do it, right? We can't just be bumping along with life and getting bounced and blown here and there and everywhere. And, and, and as Pastor Danny said a number of weeks ago, we got to stop reacting to life. And we can be reflective and be reminded that God is our refuge and our strength. So the psalmist paints this, the, the worst case scenario that he can think of in, in, in a time to, ha to not be afraid and to realize our trust is in God. And the worst case scenario for him, and it seems like from the context that maybe he experienced it, was an earthquake and a tsunami. He says, we will not fear, even though the earth gives way the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. A massive earthquake, right? Though its waters roar and foam, a tsunami. Though the mountains shake as the tsunami comes in with its swelling. Even then, the psalmist says, we will not fear. That's a picture of, of loss of control and absolute chaos, right? That is the most unsafe picture that the psalmist could imagine. And he says, but when we recognize God as our strength and our refuge, we will not fear. So here's the assignment for you. What is the worst case scenario in your life? What's the worst that you can imagine happening in your life? You flunk out of college, um, you get arrested, you disappoint your parents, you, um, you're not successful, you break up, or you never get a date, or you never get married, or you get married and you get a divorce, or you have kids, or never have kids, or lose your kids. What's the worst case scenario for you in your life? If you can think about that, then you can practice with a worst case scenario like the psalmist does. You can practice what it takes to put your trust completely 
in your God. And then see what happens with your fears. And so we come in Psalm 46.3 to the first Selah of the psalm, which is stop and reflect on what this means for your life. So we're going to take two minutes. I'll keep track of the time, so don't worry. I'll let you know when there's like 20, 30 seconds left. We'll take just two minutes, and we're going to put um, a reflection um, questions up on the screen. And um, you can ignore the screen completely if you want. If you already know that you just want to spend time thinking about what this means for you, then do that, or follow the guideline that's there. So I will get, keep track of the, the time. Let me just bring us into the presence of God with one sentence. God, our Father, our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Show each of us something about what that means for us right now in our lives. And now take two minutes. About 30 more seconds. Amen. Can I encourage you, by the way? You, if you read the Psalms and other parts of the Old Testament, you'll come across that word, Selah. Do what we just did here. Take at least two minutes and pause and reflect. It's my practice in my life is whenever I come across Selah in the Old Testament, I actually close my eyes and I take a few deep breaths and I slow everything down and I simply say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see here? All right, let's see what we see in the second verse of the song that is Psalm 46. Psalm 46, four through seven. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. He will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. 
the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. The city of God that the psalmist refers to here was the city of Jerusalem where the temple of God was because that's where God said that in the Old Testament he would choose to dwell, to be in the midst of his people. In the New Testament age, because of Jesus, the city of God now is the people of God. It's the kingdom of God. It is where his people gather. It's not buildings, and it's not a specific geographical place. The city of God now in our lifetime is the church and the people of God. We're reminded in Psalm 46, 4, that the Most High chooses to be present in the midst of his people. Think about that. We are so broken. We are so messed up. We are so imperfect. Yet God the Most High still chooses to be in our midst. I'm pretty sure there are times when God is utterly dismayed with the church. If I were God, I would have kicked the church to the curb a long time ago. Yet the Most High God chooses and wants to be in our midst to be with us. He wants to be with us individually in everything that we face moment by moment in abiding. And he wants us to know that he's here. The most high God is in our midst right here. God doesn't give up on us. There are times when I want to give up on the church. And there have to be times when you want to give up on the church. There are times when it seems like the church is just toxic or times when the church has done things in the name of Jesus that, that, that we just shudder. Even then, God doesn't give up on his people. He is in the midst of us. And being in our midst, he starts to transform and change us into what Paul says is a new race a new group of people who are the people of God, living out the purposes of God, caring for the world as God would have them care for the world. And God will always help his people when the morning dawns. There may be times of darkness, and, but, but after the darkness, the morning always comes. And we're promised in Psalm 46 that God will always help his people when the, when the morning comes. So much has rocked the church in the last few years. And COVID is just the footnote, right? It's more the racism and the sexism, the syncretism, the partisanism, the linking up of, of the church with certain political views, whichever side of that you land on. There is a materialism, there is a rampant successism in the church today. So much has shaken the church. And it's kind of mind-boggling. I've been pastoring for, for longer than anybody in this room has been alive, okay? I've never seen a period, uh, there was somebody that I saw earlier. All right, there may be, some, okay, these two. <laughs> I want you guys walk in. So there are two people here who were alive when I started pastoring. Um, I've never seen this kind of upheaval. We've seen it in other times in history, but I've never seen it in the last 40 plus years. God is doing something new. And sometimes things have to be broken. Sometimes things have to stop. Sometimes we have to massively, de that's what 
a revival is. That's what a reformation is. It is God pushing his people to deconstruct and reconstruct something new. And then we have that, that just that, that phrase, the nation's rage. The world is just up in arms. Kingdoms totter. Political powers come and go. Presidents come and go. God, our God, utters his voice and the earth melts. That's not nice stuff, okay? That's scary, um, powerful God kinds of things. And then we have this refrain. It's the theme throughout the psalm. The Lord of hosts. The Hebrew word is Sabbath, okay? The Lord of hosts, the one who, who is the head of the, the armies of heaven and who leads in the council of heaven. The Lord of hosts is with us. Not just mighty and powerful, but he's also personal. The God of Jacob, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we come to the second Selah in Psalm 46, 7 to stop and reflect on what these verses mean for our lives. And so um, it, this, the reflection questions are very simple. Notice, all right, notice which phrase in Psalm 46, 4 through 7 catches your attention or draws you in. So first notice and then reflect why, all right? So that's, that's the plan. We're going to take that slide off and put the scripture back up. So notice which phrase kind of draws you in. And then just reflect on why. I'll give you two minutes and I'll let you know when we're 30 seconds from the end. Twenty more seconds.
Amen. Is anybody surprised by which phrase jumped out at you? I was a little surprised. The one that I didn't talk about at all <laughs> was the one that jumped out to me. The rivers, um, the river or the streams that make glad the city of God. Maybe I'm just thirsty up here, I don't know. But um, you can do that. What we just did, you can do with any scripture. You can notice and you can reflect. So let's see what we learn or what we can notice in the last verse of this song. Psalm 46, 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. How he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then that refrain from before. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So there are two imperatives that are in the last stanza. It's like we, we get grounded in what the, the message is of the psalm. And then we're given two commands in the last um, verse of the psalm. The first one is, come, behold, and it is given in a form of a command. It's not like, hey, show up and take a look, okay? It's come and behold. And the second one is be still and know. To come and behold, what that means is to gaze upon, to really notice, to use our insight to grasp the significant meaning of something, to pay focused attention to something. And the command is, come and behold the works of the Lord. Come and behold the works of the Lord. And then to help us get an understanding of what that means, the psalmist gives us two examples. The first example is, behold the desolations that the Lord brings on the earth. That's, again, not fun stuff. That's, you know, the nations rage, kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. First thing the psalmist says is, Take note of the scary, powerful things that God does. And it's a reminder to us, we tend to make God into a grandpa. And the scriptures do not allow us to do that. We are to take note of the desolations that the Lord has brought on the earth. Let's not ever let God's personal love for us minimize his significance as the most high God, the Lord of hosts. Let's not, let's not let um, his, his care for us somehow cause us to try to treat him like Santa Claus, because he's not. There are desolations. It is a fearful thing, the writer of Hebrews says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we do well to remember that, to not forget that. God is fiercely powerful. He is intensely holy. He's intensely loving. He's intensely pure. He's intensely just. As C.S. Lewis says it, God is so intense that he is a terrible good. You're not going to ever approach God and go, hey, Dad. You're first going to approach him and realize, 
and then he's going to draw you and you're going to say, my daddy. But you're, you're going to be, you will notice the awesome power and majesty of God. And he's the one that created us. And if we try to get him in here, we can't do that. He is approachable and inapproachable. He is knowable and not knowable, unknowable. Do not simplify God to be your grandpa or your Santa Claus or your favorite uncle. Second illustration the psalmist gives us is that this God who is intensely good and intensely powerful is also intensely peaceful. He brings peace on the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. So this God who is a warrior at times brings about war so that he can bring us complete internal, external, complete shalom and peace. And the psalmist is just saying these are two ways, two things that you can notice about the works of God. Make it a practice of your life to constantly and always behold the works of the Lord. Figure out what are the works that you can see in your life and stop and consider what they mean. Second command in this last stanza of Psalm 46 is be still and know that I am God. Probably we need to do the first one first. We need to behold the works of the Lord and then we need to back up and be still and know that he is God. Now, this is for us individually. This is also for us as the church. So each of us should develop patterns and habits of beholding the works of the Lord for ourselves and being still in knowing that God is, is God, but also as a church. We are called, we are commanded as a church to make, take note of the works of God and as a church to be still and know that he is God. So what does it mean to be still? Just stop already. And not just stop, but the command to be still is a command to a full stop. A full stop. Stop trying to tell God stuff all the time. Stop trying to get stuff from God. Stop always talking and thinking about your puny little world, for heaven's sakes, and your feelings and your emotions like they are your God. Stop all the frantic social activity. Stop the stupid overworking. Stop scrolling and binge-watching. Stop trying to drive and direct your relationship with God. Stop expecting God to show up in the ways that you demand or the ways that you want. Because remember, we weren't, God wasn't created to meet our goals and expectations. We were created to meet God's goals and expectations. Stop being the center of our lives and put God back in the center be still. God says, be still and know that I am God. I have to tell you, for the last probably three decades of my life, I hear this from God more than anything else. Two to three to four times a week, I hear the voice of God saying, Bill, stop and know that I am God. And I do the, if, when I'm on, when I'm on my game, I take a deep breath and I'm still and I don't try to do intercessory prayer. 
I don't try to tell God what he needs to do or what's going on. I just let him be the king and the ruler. And I wait on him. So often the scriptures were invited to wait upon the Lord. We're not good at that. We are so much into instantaneous gratification. So often in scriptures, the Lord says, wait upon me. This verse, this command from Psalm 4610, it can be one of the most powerful scriptures that you will ever weave into your life as an individual and for us as cornerstone. And so we come to the third and final Selah in Psalm 4611. Stop and reflect on what this means for your life. So the screen is there. We'll take two minutes. You can, you can follow the first three bullets there or blow them off completely if you want to just be still and know that he is God. And I'll keep track of time and then we'll close. Thirty more seconds. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just strikes me anew that there is power in your word. When we are still and listen for your voice, Something happens to our souls. And we stop just reacting to the world and reacting to whatever's next. 
we are more fully who you made us to be. And we live out of a calm, even when there's not calm around us. We live out of a peace, even when there's upheaval around us. We live out of faith, even when there are lots of good reasons to be afraid. Father, would you help us as Cornerstone Church individually and as just part of your family? Would you help us to draw near to you? Help us to simply open the scriptures and pause and ask what you have for us in them. Help us to come to worship with expectancy that not that it will meet our needs or, or be what we want, but that in an expectancy that when we worship together, that you have joy. That our worship is pleasing in your sight. Help us as a church to listen, to, to pay attention, to see your works and to listen to your voice so that we can join you in your works and echo your voice in a generation that is spinning, in a culture that is spinning, in a world of injustice, would you shape us to be your people to accomplish your purposes for the common good and the thriving and flourishing of human beings. Thank you for the power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in conclusion, one biblical commentary, commentary, commentator says this. He says, in the midst of our tumultuous, chaotic modern world, Psalm 46 reminds us that God can calm the raging seas and the trembling mountains and turn them to rivers of life and calm dwelling places. All that is required of us is that we will stand still and acknowledge the God who is with us. Cornerstone Church, as we go forward from here, let's go forward with God who is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Amen.